from their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And yes, indeed, it is the Boomer the Babe Show, and this is Pete Peters. Deborah Brown is with uh, one of our clients right now, working on uh, her book and promotions for same, so she won't be joining us today. It is Monday, December 24th, 2012, and it's 11 o'clock in the morning here in Arizona, 10 o'clock on the West Coast, 1 o'clock on the East. And I heard from my granddaughters via Facebook and their my daughter, their mother, today that they are tracking Santa Claus already and uh, on NORAD, and he is on his way. So I guess that's good news for a uh, joyous holiday tomorrow. And uh, for those that are engaged in the gift-giving and exchange, uh, I hope everybody has a, a wonderful day tomorrow. And for those of you that are uh, of other faiths, I hope you enjoy your holidays as well. Uh, all that having been said, I'm Pete Peters. We invite you to visit us at boomerandthebabe.com. See everything else that we do besides this radio show, including the books and one of which Deborah is working on right now. We publish many books and e-books. Many of our authors and many of our guests uh, have columns in our Boomer Experience Speaks online magazine. Sign up for the mailing list, and you will be able to receive that in your inbox every four to six weeks, absolutely no charge. So we encourage you to do that as well. But I do have uh, somebody with me that's going to help us today. Her name is Lisa Bahar. Or Bahar. I'll make sure I get that pronunciation correct in a minute. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the holidays and the stresses and dealing with same and so on. But uh, first of all, Lisa, welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show. Thank you so much, Pete. It's great to be here with you. And how badly did I butcher your name? You did beautifully. It's Lisa Bahar, but don't worry. People butcher it all the time. I just go with it, but it's Lisa Bahar. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, If Deborah were here with us today, uh, she would uh, invite you to give your two-minute movie. And what that is uh, what she means by that is uh, basically your bio, a little bit of background about what you've done, possibly prior to becoming a licensed marriage and family therapist, if you have any kind of uh, uh, history that you'd like to uh, talk about that maybe sent you in the direction of being uh, this this professional that you are today. Um, you don't have to tell us whether or not your post office locally has your picture on the wall or anything like that. We don't ask for that kind of information. But uh, any, anything you anything you care to tell us, we'd be most anxious to hear. So there's your opportunity to tell us about Lisa. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's fascinating that you ask about my movie because I love movies. And interestingly enough, that was my first career was studying movies. So talking story is kind of a not only an enjoyment of mine, but it's actually become part of my profession. But I would have to say that my movie, boy, if you can give me two minutes, um, stop me if I go over, started as a a very creative child, um, born into a very creative family. My mom's an artist, my uncle's an artist, my father was an architect, and we've all had this very creative environment that... um, nurtured a big playfulness in me that um, segued into studying movies initially. That was my first career. And as a baby boomer, I changed careers in midlife, but my first career, my first love, I have to admit, is the movies. And um, I went on to study movies, be in um, local theater, be in local film, and also studied story and wanted to be a writer and was... uh, relatively successful for a limited period of time of working with writers in the film industry and developing stories that um, translated the film. But I found that um, that didn't quite work out in the way that I would have hoped at the time, but ironically enough, I transitioned into a world of therapy and um, went back to school in midlife and got a degree, a master's degree in clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy. 
and started to um, segue into a profession of psychotherapy. And I'm very proud to introduce movies into psychotherapy. And I don't know if you and Deborah are aware, but I do a lot of work with cinema therapy. So um, I don't know if that gives you a lot of personal, tangible little insights to me as a person growing up, but I can certainly uh, talk to you more about those little things that created me today that have helped clients in a therapeutic setting. Um, but my story was pretty much started in Hollywood and reintegrated Hollywood. I see Hollywood in, in my life all the time. People are wonderful movies in themselves. I love people. I love to study people and, um, and relate to them in a variety of different ways. And I think that comes from just being from a creative background and kind of a storytelling individual myself is people's stories fascinate me, including my own. I'm continually learning about myself and finding, oh, my God, I had no idea this is what I was really about when I was pushed into a stressful corner of uh, really demonstrating what my character is in this life. So I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, wonderfully, (laughs) yes, absolutely wonderfully. Uh, my, My question to you of the things that you mentioned is, what is cinema therapy? Ah, cinema therapy is a great intervention that I use within my practice. And um, I use film to create dialogue in a group process setting, although I've done it with individual clients as well. Um, But I create movies as a way to um, have conversation about problems that people might not always want to be talking about directly because of shame or because of guilt or embarrassment or maybe even sometimes denial of that there is a problem. And so movies have a very gentle kind of creative way of bringing forth a conversation that might normally not be made or had if it wasn't for something else, kind of bringing forth the questions and the creative use of character and story to talk about maybe a movie's character versus their own problems and it it, it kind of helps clients go god i can relate to this story and i had no idea for example does that make sense yes it does uh i find it interesting i, I don't know that much about psychotherapy uh maybe i should i don't know uh <laughs> <laughs> deborah always says you're crazy uh <laughs> It could be a good thing. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh but my my I think my question is you hear you hear the term and I have heard the term used in various programming on television and the movies when somebody says oh I I got I I I can't stay I I I I've got to go to group. Uh <laughs> is is that a legitimate use of that word that they have to go to group is that what they mean by going to group therapy? Well, that's kind of an interesting way to put it, and I like your your friends or whoever is saying that, that they have to go to group because maybe what they're saying is if it is a group psychotherapy environment that they're eager to go to, um, that's a very positive thing because I think what happens, and if that is the case, if I'm taking your question as you presented it as it is, is if they're going to group, there must be some level of community, there must be some level of support there that they feel that they're either validated or that they trust. And when people go to group that might and they're eager and interested to go to group, it's an indication that it's a safe place. And I think that that's a very positive thing, especially during this time uh, and this time of year. So uh, individuals could be, and, and I'm going to put quotes around the word go, go, words going to group. Going to group mm-hmm. might be Alcoholics Anonymous, might be Al-Anon, it might be any number of 12-step programs even uh, that could be considered going to group because you are with like folks that may have like problems and hopefully uh, can find some kind of solace or respite or um, help in staying away from whatever was troubling you. Is that a fair assessment? Boy, that is a fair assessment. It was beautifully put. I agree 100%. Uh, so when you have a, because you deal in group therapy yourself, correct? Yes, I do. So when you have a group and you you assemble a group, uh, are there people in there with divergent issues or 
do they all have one general issue that you've been able to diagnose, and that's why you've put these folks together? That's a really good question. You know, it really depends on what the group is that I'm I'm forming. So uh, I generally work in a very structured manner, but has negotiable it's negotiable in terms of the problems that the clients are are dealing with. And what I mean by that is. Sometimes a group can be uh, very structured in terms of the theme and the intervention and the goal of the group. You know, so for example, if I'm dealing with only substance abusers, then I will work with a, a, a set of clients that are primarily dealing with substances. On the other hand, if I'm working with a group, for example, I do this group called DBT, which is Dialectical Behavior Therapy, I might pull in clients that have different sets of issues that they find a commonality even though one client might be dealing with an eating disorder and another client is dealing with anxiety or another client is dealing with bipolar. The group actually translates to all problems so that there's an equalizing component to to the group and they can relate to each other in a way that they wouldn't think, oh, I have anxiety, I don't deal with a relationship with food that you do, and yet there's a commonality of the same kinds of issues that they might be facing that they wouldn't have out, uh, even noticed or observed or experienced if they hadn't met that individual in a group process. So people with different, um, oh, I'm going to say maladies, for lack of a better word that I can't come to right now. but Or diagnosis. Uh, diagnosis, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, people with different uh, situations can certainly uh, work with one another because is there a common thread that runs through it all? Uh, you know, it's interesting to, to discover the common thread, and sometimes that's the magic of group process, particularly cinema therapy or any group for that matter, is that people start to discover that they're not as different as they thought. And I think that's what people are kind of seeking in some form or fashion when they come to a group is a sense of validation and also a realization that, yes, they have their own set of issues, but their issues are neither greater than or less than than somebody else's issues. And so it's very validating sometimes to realize that people might, we might put on a persona of looking like we have it all together and everything's going great, but deep down we're all kind of struggling with something. Uh, and that's generalizing, of course, but in a way it's also reassuring to know to be a human and be alive, it's stressful. And, you know, it's not always easy. It's the smaller things in life that keep you going. But it's also these other vulnerabilities that we discover that might not be exactly the same but at least it's similar in the sense that we're human and we all have those moments of being fragile and it's okay. So in a group, it's, in in the group then it's a case of, um, I guess it was a book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that one. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, but it's, uh, it, it's kind of that way of looking at it. It's, it's you know, well, you know, you're – you have your foibles, I have my foibles, you know, but we're all okay. We're, we're really all okay, and it's okay to have our foibles and to live with our foibles. Yeah, and I think if you can embrace those foibles and know that those foibles are there instead of avoiding what they really are and that they're there, that's the process of change if you want it. If there's flaws and foibles that you have, that you know that these are just part of you, they could be just little idiosyncrasies, but that you don't try to deny that they're there, that they're there, that's part of you, that's a a level of acceptance, and it's okay, and it's not something to necessarily judge. In fact, I would encourage, try not to judge your own point. Yeah, I'm going to suggest that some of our politicians need (laughs) to do some acceptance. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, come to group. Come to group. Go to group. I'm going to DC. <laughs> you got a whole bunch of people that can use your help there. Uh, you mentioned earlier the various stresses of life. Uh, but for some reason, uh, it seems that the stresses of life are greatly magnified during the course of the holiday season. 
Um, do you find that to be the case, first of all? And then let's discuss after that possibly why that is the case. Well, I'd have to agree. And so in answer to your question, yes, I see that the, the stressors of the holidays uh, do increase the intensity of emotions and reactions. Um, so in answer to your question, yes. Do you want me to tell you why? <laughs> well, well, yeah, I want to. Well, that, yes, I want to make sure that I was on the right track with the, getting the affirmative answer first of all uh, mm-hmm. uh, before I pose the next question. Uh, I, I find it difficult to imagine, and, I, and I'm just I'm just going to give you my situation. Um, I, I I find it difficult that uh, people can't get along during the holidays. Uh, now, there when I divorced the mother of my daughter. Uh, there was there were some absolutely terrible, stressful times, uh, nasty things being said, done, whatever, whatever, whatever. That that happens. But through the course of time, and maybe it's a case of time heals wounds. Um, we have now, because my daughter is now mo- living in an area, and I have moved back to Arizona years ago, and my former wife was stayed in Arizona basically uh, after being in California for a short period of time with me but she came back here so now here we are my daughter her her husband my son-in-law and two grand and two granddaughters and my daughter is saying to all in the family I'm having Thanksgiving and I'm having Christmas Eve and you're all welcome to come and I want you all to come and if you can't get along don't bother coming and mm. and we all went and we are and we are having absolutely a wonderful holiday every year now for the last probably oh I don't know how long I've been living here five years and mm-hmm. and it's 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 very very nice and then Deborah gets along very well with my wife I get along with her husband her new husband and and it's like. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is this is kind of cool. <laughs> <It> is. <laughs> and the, and the granddaughters have Grandma Pete, uh, Grandpa Pete, and Grandma Deb, and they got Graham, and they got Pop, and they've got. That's wonderful. Well, it is, and I'm just thinking based on what I know was the situation. Why can't all people, somehow, some way, find their way clear to that? What is it that stops them? Mm, that's a good question. Well, that's a that's a complex question, and it's um, one that I would be wanting to be respectful to each individual because each individual goes through their own process of what is standing in the way of me accepting things as they are, or what areas have I still um, not let go of past resentments that turns into unresolved issues. Um, so each individual has that opportunity to make a choice. And um, like what your daughter had said, if you would like to come and join us, please do. But there was an objective there that it's intended for us to all get along. Um, that's a decision that both of you made. When you, when you decided to go, for example, the objective was to find that your intention, and, and that's a big word, your intention behind going to something like a family get-together, it it takes a lot of discipline to put past the side, you know, aside for that day, for example, and really work on the experience of creating a memory or creating experience that has that, that acceptance factor of we're here today, this is it. And But that takes a big step. I mean, it really does take a moment of just letting the past hurts go, the current hurts go, and wanting to enjoy that particular moment or that particular day with your family and keep that as your objective. I hope that answered your question. No, it does. Uh, and, and I think you're absolutely uh, correct in that assessment because what, what has happened now is um, I w- – it's not as if she and I talk to each other on a regular basis on the phone and we sit, don't sit around and have conversations or have coffee together or anything like that because that just doesn't happen. Uh, and, and it doesn't happen for any reason other than the fact that her life is hers and mine is mine and it's completely different than it was when we were together. That's then that's fine. But nonetheless, I mean, there are times when I will talk to my daughter and I'll, and I'll say, uh, does your mother know that? Or uh, tell your mother this. Or her mother will say, 
uh, tell tell your dad this or say this, you know, let your dad know about that, you know. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. know, how how's your mother feeling when she uh, when she went in for that cancer scare? How's your dad feeling when he's uh, after his uh, outpatient surgery? You know, what, whatever it is. I mean, there there's a genuine concern there. And and it, it's it's um it, my my daughter is the conduit for that information for no reason other than the fact that we both talk to her more than we talk to each other <laughs> and for no re- for no reason other than the fact that that's our that's our that's our bond that's our link and right. uh and the her and her and the granddaughters so it, it's it's nice to know i mean like last night i mean, this is very strange we're talking holiday stuff that's what brings this up brings this up right. Years many years ago, when I was we were married, my father, who is now gone, we would have a big family holiday over at my parents' house, and my father would have booze flowing for anybody that wanted it, and he had this one particular drink which was called Peter Herring, Cherry Herring. It's a liqueur that comes from Denmark, very very good, and and and. But we can't find it anywhere, and and my ex-wife loved it. She always looked forward to having cherry herring. And uh, Thanksgiving, we were together for the for Thanksgiving holiday at my daughter's house, and she says, she said, Pete, where did your dad ever get that cherry herring? You remember that cherry herring? I said, Oh yeah, I remember that. And she said, Where did he get it? I said, I don't know. It was available in liquor. She says, I have looked all over for that stuff, and I can't find it. So last night, just. I'm sitting around here with my sister and brother-in-law who are here for this holiday now, and, and we're talking about whatever. They got their iPads out, and they're looking up this and looking up that. And I said, look up cherry herring. And they looked up cherry herring, and I'll be damned if I didn't find out that it was at BevMo. At BevMo. Ah! And I said, so I called my daughter, and I said, call your mother. Tell her she can get cherry herring at BevMo. <laughs> <laughs> but whether or not she did it, I don't. I don't know. But the right. point is, it's no big deal. You know, I'm not going to go spend thirty bucks on the bottle of cherry herring for her. Those days are <laughs> over. I mean, <laughs> but but uh, but um, but the bottom line is, hey, I found it. Go get it. You know, bring it to the party. I'll have a shot with you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, it, it, I don't understand, and and maybe it, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm very very lucky, very fortunate that we've been able to put. And, and this stuff, this was a long time ago. This was many years ago. I mean, oh, mm-hmm. crying out loud! Uh, how old was my daughter? My daughter was in, my daughter was in junior high school and getting in getting into high school when this was all going on. And she's now 38. So that tells you how many years ago that that this was. <laughs> but we, we remember. We both remember it like. Like yesterday, right. and but but we joke about it. We absolutely right. joke about it, and right. um, and it's and it's fun. It really it really is fun. And I don't understand why people can't find their way clear to that. And what do you do as a therapist to try to help them find their way clear? Well, that's another really good question. Is um, you know. Sometimes those moments of awareness come just through processing their feelings of of the past, and they can be bittersweet. You know, things have meaning, and things stick with you. Like you said about the cherry herring, these are these are moments of the past that resonated and stayed with you as a way of reminding you of not only you know your father, but your ex-wife and your daughter, and just kind of the the playfulness that came along with this liqueur that you can only find in Denmark, and it, it just stayed with you. And as beautiful as it is, it is now, it might not have always been. Now, I don't, I'm not saying yours, but some people don't get to those kinds of deeper understanding or enjoyments of the little things in life that have all these great significant meanings to us until they're ready. And when I'm working with clients on the past and dealing with, you know, family and sometimes, you know, at midlife people are transitioning and, you know, whether their kids are going to college or their marriage is making a transition just based on the age or some of these realizations that they're going through now of what they had with with their former wife versus now and how it is it it's different. 
but it has a different, there's similarities in that there's something that's always a part of them that sometimes the sweetness of the memories comes just through processing and also just awareness and just letting go of the anger or resentment or the whys of why did it have to be that way? Why was it so hard versus just kind of accepting it as, hey, you know, it was good times. We had some good times. You know, and and that's a big thing, you know, and and letting that kind kind of just be part of you, and and it's not always easy. You think, oh well, God, if I could only get to that place. Well, sometimes it's not so easy to be accepting and happy with what was, and that's part of just being in the present is just enjoying what was and what is. Well, there's another thing I think that in in our particular instance, um, mm-hmm. and that is that. Uh, whatever we do for our acceptance, uh, Chris's, Chris's mother and myself, we mm-hmm. both we both have now a, a new person in our lives. Uh, mm-hmm. Although the new person in my life is well, in both of our lives for his, <laughs> they were like twenty five years already. It's amazing. <laughs> but 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 the point is, um, they're very supportive as well. Uh, they don't, there's, there's no, there's no jealous, there's no petty jealousies, there's no anger, uh, I can sit and I can talk with her husband and about any number of topics, uh, whereas at the time, uh, when things were going on and they were doing their thing off together, uh, I could have put one between his eyes just as easily as anything. I mean, I wasn't going to do that, but I mean, you know what I said? The anger was just welling up in, inside to be on belief. But now, tripe, he's not my best friend, but I've asked him to be on the radio show. Uh, you know, so uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, everything, it, uh, it goes it goes full circle. And I don't know, I don't know if it's, if it just comes with age, wisdom, maturity, or if it's just the further you get away from it, in time, the less meaningful it is, unless you really decide to harbor it. Mhm, mhm. Well, that's a good good way to put it. Unless you really decide to harbor it, and it's it's interesting how things just kind of find their way. Of you know, just they they resolve. There's a resolution to certain things, but certain things you can't forget, and certain things you don't want to forget, but on the other hand, is it really worth the energy to um, be angry if that's what, how, how the, what the emotion is or be resentful if that's what the emotion is? And you can't take that away from somebody. They have to want to let that go. If there is anger and resentment, that's their anger and that's their resentment. And I noticed in working with clients, a lot of the you know times people are challenged of not being understood, of their their anger, their resentment is invalidated in some certain degree. But if families can understand that this stuff comes from history, if it's anger and resentment, and it takes time, and it takes willingness. I think that's a big key factor here is the willingness to just accept things as they are. And, you know, going through a second marriage and, and having a daughter from your first marriage, for example, your daughter is, like you said, a link. She's kind of the conduit. She's the one who keeps the family connected in this way that will never be denied. And it's something that, you know, it sounds like you've come and your your wife, Deb, is very, very respectful and considerate of that history. And that's part of you. And part of her accepting of you is knowing that. And that's just that's just people coming together and kind of, not kind of, just being willing to see the present for what it is and respecting the past. Well, I mean, yeah, it is. I, th- I think you're absolutely right in that assessment, and and it's and I and I I marvel because I tell this story. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I don't tell it at every turn. I don't tell it at every cocktail party. That's for sure. But uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I I I've told this story to other people, particularly people that I've run into that are having an absolutely horrific, horrendous divorce or separation. Uh, dealing with a spouse, I'm, and I and I'm and I'm not talking about people people that are dealing with a spouse when there's abuse involved and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about just dealing with a spouse on day to day activities that are causing a possible demise in the relationship, and or they have already dissolved the relationship, and now they're dealing with whatever. And I will say to them inevitably, 
if you allow it to be, there will come a time when, and they go, oh, no way, oh, my God, no way in heaven, oh, geez, no. And I said, trust me, just trust me. And that's pretty much the way I say it. I say, trust me, you don't know me that well, but I'm the voice of experience, trust me. And and then they look at me like, God, he's for real. He really means it. <laughs> and I go, Yeah, I do. I do. And and I said, It's it's much easier this way than it is the way you are right now. Right. And that's right. all I can tell them. I mean, it's up to them. And bottom line, it's on them. And I'm certainly not in your business, so I don't want to get any involved. And I don't I don't want to get any more of that on me than I <laughs> I did accidentally. <laughs> I don't choose to get that stuff on me. Uh, so I mean I, I think it's I, I think it's uh, everything you said it is it, it, it's a it's a it's a it's almost as if it's a maturation it's almost as if you're no longer an adolescent and you've grown through that and you know you, I can look back and I don't know about you but I can look back and think well that was sex drugs and rock and roll why it wasn't that fun but I ain't gonna <laughs> do that but I'm not gonna do that anymore <laughs> oh those days are over they only, or at least. <laughs> I went to a doctor like you one time, and, I, and she and, and she said to me, she says, Pete, she says, you've got too much sex, drugs, and rock and roll going on, so I don't, I don't sing anymore. <laughs> well, I'm sure perhaps those, those things can be channeled in different ways, and uh, you know, I, I like to nurture that playfulness in, in people, and um, that's what keeps life kind of fun and a little uh, inspiring and off the cuff is to just keep that little mustard, as I say, going and. Um, yeah. You know, but but you know, keep it in balance. And of course, there's there's little areas sure. that to be considered. But enjoy it, indulge it, and have a good time in an appropriate way <laughs> with um, with people that you can trust and have a good time with. So, Absolutely. and sometimes that comes through movies or uh, music, or you know, it just comes into watching other people get up on stage or karaoke or whatever you need to do to feel a little goofy in the moment. Go for it. Well, here we are. We're going to be going out tonight, possibly, or tomorrow. We're going to be having a, a big holiday feast with our, our, our probably more relatives, but some friends involved as well, quite possibly. And and people are going to these things. In some cases, they are going to be dreading the fact that they've got to be there. They feel that yeah. they've got to be there. And they, you know, it's one thing to deal with crazy Uncle George. Uh, because crazy Uncle George is sitting in a corner and he's crazy, and that's okay. And everybody knows in the family that oh, that's just Uncle George. But uh, but the people that have one or two too many, and the tongue gets a little loose, and everybody before you know it, they're starting to snipe and snip at one another. Uh, and it happens year after year after year, and people resent going more and more every year. How do you try to help those people? What can you well, get, what what can you get, somebody's listening today and they're saying I got to go and I don't want to go how what what can you give them to maybe help them relax in the situation Ah well uh try and not contribute to the situation so uh if if you're the one who's going and you're kind of oh no I got to go and there's crazy uncle George doing what crazy uncle George does or another family member you know, has a little too many and gets, you know, as you were saying, loose in the tongue or whatever might be happening. I think the first step is to um, not contribute to the, in, engage in the, in, I was going to use the word drama, not not engage in the process of what's happening there by yelling or ridiculing. Um, more, I would inc- I would encourage gently avoiding that individual if you can and be decent a little bit kind if you can, and um, just survive the situation by redirecting your energy to another part of the of the room or another group of people. Um, so the first part is don't engage. The second part is gently avoid and be decent and kind. Don't uh, Avoid judging. Um, and redirect and maybe take a moment to pause. Maybe take a moment to walk outside and look at the lights if it's not cold, too cold, or just take a moment and breathe. And, you know, reconnect with why you're there and create a memory for yourself there and um, give as much as you can, which which is in reason, and enjoy what's there that you are enjoying. So it's really a, a matter of focusing. And I, I, can I add possibly don't try not to do anything that will escalate it? Yeah, I agree. 
don't don't inflame it further. I mean, don't throw gas on the fire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if somebody's sitting there saying, "And you this, and you that, and you this, and you that," and you go, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yes. but don't say, "And you, you son of a gun." <laughs> <laughs> And remember when? Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that brings up another point. I, I, I remember this when we were when I was we were going to marriage therapy twenty some odd twenty five. Oh shoot, twenty seven years ago, twenty eight years ago. Oh my gosh, it's a long time. Uh, wow, am I old? I'm old as dirt. Uh, oh, you're a babe in the woods. Uh, but I mean, we were we were sitting there in this therapist's office. And the therapist says, you people have a lot of stuff in your bag, don't you? And we went, what? Or I went, what? And she and she said, uh, you have a lot of stuff in your brown paper bag. And whenever you guys get into an argument, rather than have talked it out, rather than have worked it through with or without somebody, you reach for your paper bag and you start reaching in and you grab something and you throw it at them and you say, take this, you SOB, and oh, I got another one. Here, take this. And the, mm-hmm. and I remember when you this and I remember when you that. Mm-hmm. And they and, and this, this doctor called it the brown paper bag syndrome. That was her term for it. Um, <laughs> you've got to empty that bag, don't you? Other than just uh, taking it out and throwing it at people. Oh, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I call it the suitcases. I mean, it's like, and now look at this suitcase, you know, and let me show you what's here. You know, it's 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 a matter of whether um, two people are communicating. And, and like you said, you, you, you provide, you both went to a psychotherapist to help with that process and identify that there is a brown bag there that you might not have even noticed until somebody pointed it out. In fact, that's what you want, what paper bag? Well, you know, that's unresolved issues that are escalating or fueling the present issue. So you go through a process of, yes, going through the paper bag, if you will, but don't overgo through the paper bag because the paper bag can get deeper and bigger and bigger and bigger if you let it become too much of the focus of the present. So the value is to notice the paper bags of the issues of the past, communicate effectively. And that's a big big skill between couples and people and families and, you know, even work colleagues, and et cetera. It extends further. But learning how to communicate and learning how to validate your own emotions, and it doesn't mean you do it like a computer and this is how I feel and this is what's going on and I really wish you would do it this way so I could feel better. It's more of, I am angry about this past issue that we never really got to, you know, and it could be very small in somebody else's eyes. Like, why are you still stressing over that car or whatever the case may be? But it's significant to that person. And if they feel understood and they feel like, you know, in in couple therapy or family therapy, it's a lot about the other individual just wanting to be understood, not agreed with necessarily, but do you understand? And sometimes that takes a little time, and it takes maybe a therapist to help facilitate that kind of conversation. And if people can get to that place where they just feel understood, that's the time of releasing the past. And it, it's, a, it's also an art. It's, it's time to let it go. But it needs to be acknowledged before you do it. Well, you know, that is one thing that I... Uh... I do understand that when when somebody says to me, "Aren't you listening to me? Don't you hear me?" You know, right. uh, that's a sure sign that uh, they're not feeling well, maybe maybe appreciated, but I mean, they're not they're not feeling understood. It's like right. you're not you're not listening to me. You know? and, and 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 I think that I think that's uh, that's one of the typical signs that husbands and wives have, or, or uh, soulmates, whatever have, uh, because mm-hmm. they get into that and, they, and it's as if they've been turned, uh, the other person's turned them off, tuned them yeah. out. I guess tuned them out is probably a better term. Yeah, I like that. That's that's true. I would have to agree with you. Is as, as a lot of it is just. Feeling, it's a feeling too. Somebody could say, "Yeah, I get it, I understand," but they don't feel it from the other person. And it's really about do you do you feel understood? And I work with couples a lot that it takes quite a few sessions before the, the one of the spouses, for example, or like you say, a soulmate, or whatever the case may be, um, feels that that other person 
actually gets it. They understood it. And it, it takes a long time because sometimes there's blockages there that need to be moved through before they they do finally say, I I get it. I okay, I get it. You know, yeah. and, and and that takes a lot. It takes a lot out of a person. It takes a lot of work. To get to that that eureka moment or that aha moment. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes can happen in session or it can sometimes happen while they're driving and all of a sudden they oh my god, I was driving to work and I and I I finally understood what she's been trying to tell me all this all these years. I just thought it was something else. You know, it, it, these things come at different random moments and sometimes they happen in session and the magic of psychotherapy can be a part of that opportunity. But on the other hand, this is everybody's own timeline and life course of when they have those moments of understanding, and and that's that's a big thing. That's what keeps people connected and and you know together. And it's, it's a beautiful thing when people really seek to understand each other. Uh, I have a friend of mine who is uh, has had some issues with uh, with their their mates, and and they've they've gone to counseling and they've tried to work it out and so on and so forth. And he has said to me, uh, you know, I, I really do know what she's talking about. I, I really do know that. And he is, is he has come to this realization through his therapy sessions, or I don't know if, if he came through them, came to it through his therapy session with her or without her. I don't know. They both go together sometimes and they both go separately sometimes in the same to the same uh, practitioner. And I don't know where he had his aha moment, but he said to me in a moment of um, just just bearing his soul, I guess, said, uh, you know, I really do understand that I that I don't always pay attention, that I that I don't put a lot of stock in what she says or what she thinks. And I do know what she's where she's coming from when she says, "You never listen to me, you don't understand me, you don't pay attention to me. I understand where she's coming from she's but he says, "But I can't admit that to her because she'll take it and run it right up my backside <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so I mean he he doesn't want to say to her you're yes, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but because mm-hmm. he knows if he did it." he will never hear the end of it from her with regard to, I remember when you admitted it to me, and then I'm going, oh, well, you better go back to your doctor. <laughs> and you guys better work that out because I'm I'm just driving this car. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not analyzing when I'm sitting here behind the steering wheel. I'm just trying to keep us out of a wreck. <laughs> uh, and I and I don't want to be in your wreck, believe me. Uh, yeah. But I, but is, isn't that isn't that kind of typical though? What happens? One or the other will maybe come to the realization. The other one says, "But I can't tell her or him because he'll just mm-hmm. he'll just say, yeah, see, I told you so,' and mm-hmm. uh, and, I'll, and off you go back down the same road again." You know, I see that a lot, and more often than not, and I and I look for those words never and always, and I and I call my clients on those words because um, those are there's there's very few nevers and there's very few always is in in relationship, and sometimes, and I'm venturing out here, and and, and this is um, this can be hard for some clients to embrace and understand about themselves, is many times one of a, one of the spouses is committed to the relationship as being as bad as they think it is. And it's very hard to let go of this is how bad it is. If they let that go, it's very invalidating sometimes of how they feel of what has occurred. So as much as clients say, oh, I want us to be communicating better and be more happy and so on and so forth, the inval- they might feel invalidated, and I-, I hope I make sense here, if they actually commit to that present desire of the relationship being in the now and not holding on to the past, which can be a level of victimization on their part. So, you know, your friend might hear, he is saying, I I know I do this, but I don't want to say this because I know it's going to be tailgating me for the time to to come. Well, that kind of thought and, and verbalization is, is wonderful if it could be done in the setting of perhaps the therapist's office, like you said and suggested. 
that's the, probably one of the best places to talk about it openly of I'd love to talk about the past and what we've gone through and some of the mistakes I've made. I just have a concern that you're going to be taking that as some sort of ammunition in the present to hold me to the past, which will rob us of our of our present, not to mention our future, but that's another story, but what's happening now between you and I. So I deal with that a lot with clients that just refuse to let go or are not willing to let go of the past because it would invalidate their experience and they're not so ready as they think to be nurturing what's in the now. They're more committed to being in the past of how bad it is. Uh, I I can understand that fully uh, because at, at, at one point in my previous relationship, I was involved in that myself. Um, and, and that's why it, it seems so. Uh, well, I know it's real, and and it, it's very real to me when he was when he was relating it to me. I went, yeah, well, I've been there, done that. Uh, mm-hmm. And and uh, when, I mean, I have a tendency. I do have a tendency when Deborah starts saying something with regard to what I'm doing that she doesn't do it very often at all. But I say uh, under my breath, I go, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> uh, you, you know, and every now and then I'll say it loud enough, and I'll be on, I'll be on the side of her head that has a good ear, and then I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Deborah's background is she, she is, uh, she's a sociologist. She has a degree in sociology, so, so she knows her way around some of this stuff. I think she's got a, and she's got a, a, a minor in. in uh, uh, Psychology, so she, so she's, she, she knows her. She knows, she knows people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going. God, I can't get anything faster. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Because in 25 plus years, Lord knows I've tried, and it just never, it yeah. never works. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 it can be very troubling and very wearing. And it's just draining to live a yeah. life that like that. Yeah. Okay. At some at some point, I'm glad there's people like you that can help people, so they can just take a deep breath and just go, "Wow, this feels much better now." Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. So as as a as a therapist, um, are there ever people that come to you and you just can't help them? They refuse to be helped. Hmm. Well, um, there's many times where people will come to me and I'm not, um, uh, it's not my competence level or it might not be my scope of practice to help them, for example, or they need more support than I can as one individual uh, clinician provide so that happens um, a lot. It doesn't mean that I can't help them later on down the line, but maybe their more immediate issues are that they need, you know, stabilization. But you know, whether it's a medical stabilization or a psychiatric stabilization before they come to me for, you know, relational counseling or clinical counseling. So you know, that's one you know professional consideration in terms of just you know being ethical and mindful of how much I can help. That's just part of the profession of assessing and knowing you know what you can and can't do. Um, so that happens a lot, and I use I engage other clinicians or disciplines to help me with that as a team. If I can't handle a client in that particular moment when they come to me initially, I'll I'll ask for a psychiatrist to work with me or a nutritionist or maybe a treatment program to surround that client with additional support than what I can provide. So that's one piece to it. The resistance factor is another piece to it. Um, Many times I'll have, for example, a family come to me and go, please just work with my child until you can help them understand what their choices are and how bad it is or, you know, help my spouse get it or break through their denial for them. I, you know, I resist those kinds of clients as well. Resist, I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm cautious in terms of signing resistant clients. Um, if they want the help, I'm there. It's pretty much, if it's in my scope and my ability to help them, I I'm, I will certainly do my best to, to help them and, and provide them the skills or provide them the opportunity to process. That's part of my job. That's part of my work. That's part of my calling. 
Um, but if the if the client is not engaged and they're doing it because somebody else is forcing them to be there, there's only so much I can do, and it becomes more of a mm, I was going to say an ethical consideration is, you know, it, it, is is this something that they want? And if it's not something they want, then you know maybe come to me when it is what you want, and we can go from there. So I'll take a client to a certain degree that's resistant. But it has to be with some lace of willingness, and I have to know it's in my competence level to help them. Does I, I can I can only imagine what it's like to try to deal with somebody that was brought to you. I mean, brought to you, mm-hmm. kicking, kicking and screaming, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean that has got to set you way back uh, the normal from from where you start. If you start at all, mm-hmm. uh, um, so I guess maybe the question that uh, that 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 breeds then is, what about people that say, well, we need to perform an intervention here, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's with a child or whatever whatever it is, if it's uh, a deprogramming, uh, let's say that somebody is involved has gotten involved with what uh, parents and other relatives feel is a a religious cult or or they're over the edge possibly with drugs and they can't get themselves out of it or alcohol or whatever and they need to they need to stage some kind of an intervention how do you feel mm-hmm. about that and do you think it works good question uh well you know religious cult i haven't um had that encounter as of yet i mean i certainly work with clients who have difficulty with organized religion and ideas of spirituality, and that's a delicate conversation that I have with clients um, more often than not. Um, So religious cult, I would say, I I don't know the answer to that particular area of an intervention. Um, So I'm going to put that one on hold, and I'll let you know if something comes to me as I I speak to, for example, a substance abuse issue. Um, with, With intervention, you know, many times families will call me, and say, I want to bring my spouse to you. And um, she doesn't think she has a problem, but we all know she does, and we'd like you to get her where she needs to go. And she hates therapists. <laughs> you know? And so I'll be going, okay, great. Yeah, we'll, know, throw, we'll throw that one in. Help me in, you know? By the way, doctor, she hates therapists. How's that for a kicker? Yeah, go ahead. I was like, oh, boy. Okay, here we go. So, um, you know, and many times because of my um, uh, area of emphasis and my understanding and my credentialing and my licensing, all that's wonderful and great in education, but it doesn't mean I can, you know, bring your bring your spouse, for example, to understand the complexities of their own problem. I wish I were that good, but, I, you know, it's really I'm not equipped to necessarily do that. They might do that in my session, and that I'd love to take the credit for it that, ah, you realize this in session while you were with me, and it's all about me, but that's not the case. That's really on their plan and their time. So I'm confused many times as being an interventionist, and that's very different than what I can provide. Um, with an interventionist, you know, they're the ones who can facilitate the family to come together and the support. And family, I mean biological family as well as social family. That includes best friends or Coworkers, or whatever the case is that is appropriate to that particular intervention, to surround that that particular individual in a very supportive way, um, that is a very mindful, respectful, non-shaming or judgmental, but of a place of caring and concern, and generally working with people who are um, addicted to drugs and or alcohol or anything for that matter. I mean, addiction is is goes beyond you know drugs and alcohol, it can go into relationships, it can go into sex, it can go into porn, it can go into addiction, it can go to shopping, whatever the case may be, that the interventionist is the one who bridges that that individual to a program. And like you said, a deprogramming, I don't know, how about reprogramming or alternative programming or providing additional ways of living as a possibility. And if that individual is um, willing to deal with wanting to be in a program and maybe trying something different than what they are doing in the present, meaning that they're willing to take a chance on sobriety, it might work for them. 
And once they start to do that and and start thinking about a program, and again, addiction and alcohol and recovery is a individual program. So you can think, well, that person definitely gets it, and they might not get it the first time, or the person you wouldn't even think would get it gets it. So you never can tell where it's going to begin or not begin in terms of recovery. The only thing you do is you provide them the skills, you provide them the compassion, you provide them the support and the boundaries and the ability to continue on, give them the tools, and it's really up to that individual to determine whether or not they want to use them. As a therapist, I'm more effective at the uh, as, an, as a private practice. Now, I work in treatment. I work with clients who are in recovery and who are in a treatment program as well as my private practice. If I'm working with people in private practice, meaning they come to me on an outpatient level, generally, more often than not, they've already completed a program. So I'm much more effective and successful with clients who have already gotten the tools as the foundation versus being preliminary program, pre-program. So I'm better at aftercare than I am pre-care. I'm more effective as a therapist. But many times I've worked with clients and been a part of that intervention as an adjunct to help them get to where they need to go. And I just step up to the plate when I'm called to and go, okay, let's go. And it's time to go to treatment and they're ready. So I don't know if that – did that answer your question? No, it, it did. No, okay. no, it, it did. Okay. It was very – yeah, very, very well. Um, I, there's just so many things, more things that I want to talk to you about. Uh, I, I find your work to be very uh, – and any therapist for that matter, I find that work to be very – Oh, interesting to me. Not that I want to be a therapist, but I find mm-hmm. it I find it interesting in some of the things that uh, that you deal with on a daily basis. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. see by the clock on the wall that we are yeah. down to the short rows, as they say in the farm country. Uh, <laughs> uh, we uh, we've blown through this hour, uh, just one of the fastest hours that we've had in a long, long time here, and uh, and I. I owe that all to you. Uh, I want to make sure that people know uh, how, and understand how they can get hold of you if you do uh, anything with folks online or however in your area. You're in what, Palm Springs, California, is that correct? Actually, no, I'm in Newport Beach, California. Oh, Newport and Beach, okay. I, yep, and I also have an office in Dana Point, California with oh, Southern California oh. Psychiatrics. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Very nice. Um, uh, but how can they get a hold of you if they need, if they need help or if they need somebody in your area that want uh, that that needs help and they want to recommend you? Uh, what's the proper way to uh, contact you? Well, my goodness. Thank you. My number is nine four nine two one two two zero eight one. So I'll say it again. It's nine four nine two one two two zero eight one. And I have a website. So it's www.lisa, L-I-S-A, Bahar, B-A-H-A-R, dot com, and a Facebook page, which is Lisa Bahar, L-M-F-T, dot com. You can find us on Facebook, and I can give you up-to-date postings of what's happening and where I'll be and all the good stuff that's going on with my practice. Very good. Well, Lisa, I want to thank you for being my guest today. Um, It's been a joy talking to you. On the 24th of December, and sent us on his way, and uh, ho, 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 and all that good stuff. (laughs) Merry Christmas to you, and happy holidays to those of you who are out there enjoying the holiday season. I hope it's a good one for you guys, and a happy new year. Thank you very much, Lisa. Same to you, and we'll talk again soon. Have a great holiday. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye now. We've been listening to and talking with Ms. Lisa Bahar, licensed marriage and family therapist. You can contact her at lisabahar.com, L-I-S-A-B-A-H-A-R.com. Any questions or concerns you might have, maybe she can direct you to somebody in your area, possibly through her associations, or if you're in her area, she can certainly work with you. Uh, in probably many of the issues that you might be facing and need some help with. So contact Lisa Bahar at lisabahar.com. That having been said, have a great holiday, everybody. Uh, We're not going to be back now until the 28th is the next program that we'll be doing. So we hope you'll be able to join us at that time. Uh, In the interim, have a great holiday, and uh, we'll talk to you all real soon. Sorry I don't have any Christmas music to go out with, but we'll go out with our standard clothes. Have a great day, everybody. Take care. 
listening to the Movement Debate Show, where we bring interesting conversation to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we tweet as Boomer and Babe, and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 